In our breakout and best-selling book, Looking for Angels, A Guide to Understanding and Connecting with Angels, Dr. Scott Guerin and I share how you can communicate with angels, understand signs from the universe and these celestial beings, feel at peace knowing you are always connected to source, and much more. Get your copy today at lookingforangelsbook.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore. And now you can even get the audio version narrated by me and Scott through Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Hi, all. Nicole here. This podcast is intended to inspire you on your personal spiritual journey to inner peace. I am not a psychologist or a medical doctor and do not offer any professional health or medical advice. This applies to the podcast guests and or co-hosts. If you are suffering from a psychological or medical condition, please seek help from a qualified health professional. You are listening to A Psychic Story a podcast that shares behind-the-scenes insights of people who lead supernatural lives among the ordinary. And I'm your host, Nicole Bigley. Join me every Wednesday as I dispel the myths behind magic and lore. Welcome to A Psychic Story. Mysticism. Hi, Psychic listeners. Buckle up because for this episode of A Psychic Story, we are going to talk about remote viewing. Now, this is a topic that I've been wanting to cover for quite a while, and many of you have even requested it, but I had to find the right person, and boy, have I. If you don't know what remote viewing is, don't worry, because here to talk with us about it is Christopher or Chris Duncan. Thanks, and welcome to the show, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. So why don't you talk a little bit first about your life, where you were born, growing up, what was that like before we get into remote viewing? <laughs> right into the, the difficult question. Yeah, well, we don't have to start there if you don't want. No, that's fine. I was born in Jefferson City, Missouri. Grew up in a very rural, I don't know how to describe it well, a very rural, isolated area right in between Jefferson City, Missouri and Lake Ozarks. Grew up mostly with my mother. I think this is important because I feel it had a, a, some type of influence on it, but essentially grew up in an extremely like abusive home. Didn't see my father much and kind of at one point when I was like 17, I basically ran away and started my whole life independently and kind of led me, all those things ended up in this domino effect that led me to where I am now. So that's why I kind of feel it's pretty important. Yeah, and I do want to get into that a little bit later, but before we do, how did you also get into remote viewing? Because you said that you ran away from home. I think you had, you know, in military or you you joined that and then you came back and then there was something where obviously you were introduced to it. So how did that come about? And also, what is remote viewing? <laughs> the second time I ran away from home, I uh, forged some paperwork, uh, signatures on some paperwork and joined the military and, and ran away. And it was immediately after completing all the basic training and stuff assigned overseas. And I just stayed there. So I finished my enlistment there. I was back in Missouri for in St. Louis for maybe three weeks and then just bought a ticket back. I was dating someone that was local there at the time and had a place. So I literally just did my paperwork to, to finish my time, got out and flew back and then ended up getting a job in the civil service over there in the Department of Defense. 
working over there and then stayed there another five years just working for the Department of Defense and sort of progressively moving up through the the ranks to the point where it was in 2009, they said basically it was time for me to go and they moved me back to the East Coast, switched my career field a little bit to like program management. And through a, just another long series of events and moves, I ended up working in this office where they had put a lot of the old retired remote viewers. These were people who were doing remote viewing for the government in you know 70s, 80s, and 90s. And then they had kind of mothballed the programs. And they weren't doing that there. They basically, these folks had come back as contractors. Some of them still had some time in their career. And so they'd made them like administrative support staff and, and things like that. So I had one of them who was essentially my right hand. Like he would help me type up policies and letters and memos and things. And I had started a PhD program on electromagnetics and magnetic fields. And he one day he kind of alluded to, that sounds a lot like what we would study in remote viewing. And for those who aren't aware, I like to very sort of narrowly define remote viewing as the ability to perceive the right now going on wherever it is. So a lot of people get it confused and they think like it's out-of-body experience or it's astral projection or it's looking and telling the future or something. I really narrowly confine it and I really don't like to make statements on the rest of that stuff, whether it's true or not, or mostly because I don't know. And also it's very divisive among people. So but I, I can unequivocally say that that is remote viewing. So if you take the time right now and you wanted to look at what was going on anywhere else in the world, it's the sort of ability to intuit that and describe it visually or write it down. So is it kind of like, I imagine Google Earth, <laughs> where you can kind of zoom in on any GPS location. Now, granted, that's going to give you a satellite view of the Earth and not necessarily, or location. But how do you personally see when you do remote viewing? Is it through clairvoyance and through your mind's eye and you receive images? I'm, I'm sure it's probably similar to a lot of intuition, like you said, to the point where it's just, you know, divisive and or there's, you know, confusion out there as to what it is. Yeah. So most people get a sort of flash of imagery, almost like images. I get some of those. I'm much more stronger at like a, a feeling, sort of like almost emotional type perception. Like my very first time ever and how this came about was I was, he explained that that was like remote viewing. I went, the heck is that kind of thing? And he explained it and I was like, oh my God, I want to try this. And so I run off and, and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to make some some things and see if he can remote view it. And he said, no, I, I like, I've done this for years, but I'll show you. We'll let you try it. And he said, I'm going to surprise you one day and you're going to do it. I said, all right, just make it. Compl- I don't want to know anything about it. Like, I just want you to come in and have me do it. So I think it was like three days later, he comes in, he said, shut my office door. And he's like, let's do this. So he walked me through the steps. And the first image that came to mind was like a spiral, like a swirly sort of logo. Almost. It was like multiple Almost like one of those uh, little wind things that kids play with. You blow on it and it spins. So it was an image like that. And I, I, I said that. I was like, I get this image. And he said, just write that down. And I was like, I can't get over this feeling of like power. I can't move my pen. And he's like, write it down, write it down. And next thing I know, I'm describing like there's in my head, I was seeing the Truman Dam. And so I had these feelings of like intense power. I was seeing the Truman Dam lots of blue and sort of white smoke. And I started drawing it. And I, I told him, like, I think this is a dam. This is something like it's circular, like a, a backward sea. And it drops way off and there's some water. And 
I feel like behind that water, there's a building somewhere. And that makes me think that there's like, there's something hidden back there. It's a dam. There's a lot of white smoke coming up. It could be a nuclear power plant because it's got the kind of curves and the steam and there's people around. And when I was done, he, he literally looked at me and he said, first of all, holy and then I was going to say, like, right off the bat, that's a lot of detail. <laughs> yeah. And that was my first time experience. This like flow of just like there was no preparation. He just said, do this. Yeah. And he walked me through like two minutes of you're going to put your pen down. You're going to do this. And the, he opened up the target and it was Niagara Falls. And later we with some Googling found out under the falls, there is actually a power station. And that's kind of what I was picking up on, that there was something there. And from there, we just started developing this every like two to three days, he would come in with a target or two and we would work on it and worked on it. And we just continued to work on it until it got to the point. He said, I can no longer teach you this anymore. You've already, you've got this down. Wow. Amazing. So to kind of recap for a second too, what I was picking up on, you said you did see the visuals or i.e. the clairvoyance, I would imagine in your mind's eye. And then you had emotional feeling as well. And I would probably say like gut intuition or knowing of something too. So those would be probably the three strongest. And when you were younger and growing up, looking back now, do you think that you used it a lot and it just wasn't necessarily through the lens of remote viewing? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. One of the reasons is, is because it, I really honed my ability to like pick up on emotions of family members, especially my mother and like be able to detect without even like, I, I slept in a room in the basement and she was up on the top floor and being able to almost feel like, okay, now is not a good time. You need to stay away kind of thing. Or being in the basement and knowing like, oh, she's almost home kind of thing. Like, start hiding, you know? So it was like a survival. It was your your in, your survival instincts, or what I like to say, our intuition, it's my opinion, but that they mirror our physical senses. So mentally and emotionally, we have an intuitive mirror to that. But really at the end of the day, in my opinion, again, it's instinct. And so that allowed us up until, you know, from the dawn of time to survive and to evolve as humans, but also grow spiritually. And that is one of the questions that I had jotted down. So if you're comfortable with, you know, going through that, and I'm very sorry to hear about the trauma you experienced and the abuse, but it's been one of the things that I've seen kind of as a, a thread, so to speak, that people that have more heightened sensitivity or intuitive abilities tend to have experienced a trauma. But that trauma is something, whether it's a near-death experience, an out-of-body experience, an abusive situation, that tends to almost force the person into another, like go inward and again, build their strength through survival. Is that kind of what you also feel like giving the explanation with your mom? Yeah. Yeah. In multiple ways, because there was my own survival. And at the same time, I was, you know, my youngest brother's two years younger than me and I have two others. And from an early age, like we'll say, you know, if there's a lot of blur here, but let's say like fourth and fifth grade on, I basically became responsible for doing most of the rearing of my brothers from getting them up for school, cooking dinner. And this is, and this is, I mean, that's neglectful. I wouldn't necessarily call that the abuse part, but at the same time, you know, with the issues my mother had and, you know, I kind of picked up my boundaries from her, which were none. And, you know, incorporating that sort of willingness to just be open to everything, but then survival of, you know, to the point there were year there was a couple summers where I had broken bones from her, and part of my punishment was not being allowed to go to the hospital or see a doctor. There was a whole summer where I couldn't move my hands and like I could only use two fingers to eat and stuff like that because the 
bones in my hand were broken. There's just this layering of complex factors that just led to, for some reason, I turned into this person that was very hyper-independent, but really needed to learn a lot of boundaries (laughs) and how to put them in, but also very sensitive, intuitive, could really pick up on somebody's mood and sort of, you know, the vibe of the room, if you will, and was using that to his advantage to sort of navigate careers. So I've been very successful in some aspects and and struggled in a lot of others. Yeah, I can I can feel that. And you've also done a lot of work, I would imagine, on the emotional and the spiritual journey and the healing of it that I know that you said career, but that was a part of who you were and that and through that evolution. And I think probably the exercises of remote viewing gave you something to, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but almost crystallize and give you something tangible of, I didn't know I was necessarily doing this my whole life. And now this is something that there's a sense of purpose or a sense of direction to some extent. Yeah. So it really gave me, there's a couple things. And one, I've always been a big knowledge person. Internet is amazing. And I don't understand why people aren't just on it all the time because it's everything you could ever want. The silliest question. The touch of your fingertips, whatever. Remote viewing offers the same thing in some ways. The issue with it is you kind of don't know when you're wrong and you you are wrong a lot of times. Like not a lot, like 90%, but a lot like 40% of the time you might be off or you'll cue in on something that's really your own subconscious sort of, you know, like I'm, this is totally hypothetical, but I'm remote viewing you and I pick up on some anger issues or whatever. In reality, there's a really good chance it's my own. And for some reason, I'm just internalizing it or yeah it just is popping up for some reason on that day and i need to work through that and i won't know unless i confront you on it and say hey what about this kind of thing Mm -hmm. that's a that's a really good point that you bring up because i think that when people look at going to practitioners for anything you know i always say don't put somebody up on a pedestal they're not an oracle they are not all seen and knowing you're going to know your own self better than anyone else But yeah, it is as you, at least for me, as I've progressed, it is more about trying to figure out, okay, is this mine? Is this someone else's? That is probably one of the first steps of intuition when you're developing it. And especially if you're an empath and you're picking up on emotions, because that can be really jarring, (laughs) especially when you're a child trying to figure that out and and maybe not understanding because no one taught you that you can actually do that or that it's happening. Yeah. And when I grew up, like the constant theme was, is like, shut the hell up. Your opinions don't matter. I, I, at one point I had a full ride scholarship offered to me for art. And the response was shut the hell up. Like that doesn't matter. Things like that. And it, it didn't, it just, nothing I did ever matter. It wasn't good enough. So that never had the opportunity to crystallize like that. I could be successful and do something like that. At the same time, once I picked up that I had this sort of ability, you know, again, back to the, you know, needing to learn to develop like boundaries I almost began using, well, I did begin using as a bit of a party trick. Like there were times when I would be out at a bar meeting like a young lady and we're hitting it off and I would say, give me your hand and just hold her hand as like a, almost a cue to remote view and would start telling her about like some of her life and what's going on. And yeah, for the most part, it was pretty, you know, high level and, you know, kind of taken as a joke, but there was one time when I was in Los Angeles and I did that and it got into some darker places. Like, you know, did your dad have a last conversation with you in a field? Are you from up North? 
you moved to LA because of this, this, and this. And it turned out that was all true. And her dad did have a last conversation and passed away shortly after he gave her her blessing to move. And it became a very emotional event. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Killed the mood. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, could be a deal breaker. But so I do want to go back to the government and remote viewing and your role. So when you were having these exercises and then your colleague or coworker said, hey, you've gotten to a certain point and I can't really teach you any further. What did you decide to do with it? Because I'm, I'm assuming at that point, it was just more to see if you could do it in practice. And then how did you actually get into it, doing it more, I would say, professionally? Yeah. So I came to that point because I was presented with two real life scenarios. I didn't know what they were, but long story short, I, the, the gentleman who was teaching me asked me to describe something that was lost and locate it. And I ended up having never socialized with him outside of work, drew an exact layout of his house and described where he had lost his wedding ring when he was renovating like or doing some landscaping one summer and how it happened and things like that. And he found the wedding ring. And then another guy, his friend, was so impressed, he brought me another target and I found some missing pieces for a grandfather clock that he was looking for. And that's when he said, like, I can't do this. Like, there's nothing left for me to teach you. Like, I'm not, I never got that far. So, and then things started in the career, like in my career in general, I started noticing I could try to like very quickly remote view, like in a meeting. If I was in a meeting with 10 people trying to make a big decision, but I had my own position I wanted to take, I would try on my little notepad to do a very quick rapid remote viewing and see if I could kind of get everyone's take on what they were, what, you know, what their position was and arguing. I had moderate success with that. It's really unconventional because you're supposed to really do this blind and things like that. And then things sort of, while I was out in Los Angeles, I met the comedian Tom Green from the nineties. We became friends. He then had me on one of his podcasts, which then linked me up from the science perspective to uh, Russ Accord in the expedition Bigfoot and led to me being on that. And at the same time at Phenomicon in Utah. So it rapidly became like, I'm, I'm starting to make a little bit of money off this. Like, I think I, you know, I made several thousand dollars in Phenomicon by just having a workshop teaching people how to do it. And so since then I've just, I'm very picky about like clients and selection. And I also am very protective of my time, but it just kind of has led to if somebody has a problem and they have found through one of those channels, like I don't really advertise, but if they found through how to contact me, then I will use, we'll talk for a little bit and then I'll take them on. Yeah. You were really hard to find. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. And I, I consider myself pretty good at that. Maybe not remote viewing. I didn't find you through remote viewing, but looking online and everything else, because I kept asking my, what I call my spirit team, my guides and angels. I was like, all right, I have this topic. It's been on the list for a while, remote viewing, but I really want the right person because I, I think it's hard to find. And I do want to get into the science a little bit too, because you talked about magnetic field and all of that. And so anyway, I say all that because I take it seriously as well to make sure that I have the right people on and that they're vetted. But also I just finally gave up. I I said to myself, I know that there's a ton of people, but I'm just not whatever. And so randomly, that's actually how I found you, which was through Expedition Bigfoot, because I do want to ask about that later too. But because one of the questions I have is what's the wildest thing you've been asked to find or whatever, but I don't want us to digress right now. So that said, you started to get some success or progress so far within the remote viewing side of things. What's kind of next from that? You mentioned tips and, and not tips, but classes and exercises and stuff like that. So do you see yourself as like going more in this direction? I would like to go more in this direction. And the issue is, is that my, my current conventional career, we'll call it, is so 
large and I'm successful enough, like I would have to really be exceptionally successful at remote viewing to to make up for quitting my day job and going into that. I have been approached about a potential television show. It's kind of been one of those, like I call it like a heartbeat pattern. I found producers in Hollywood communicate very much this way. It'll be like two weeks of extreme communication and we're going to do this now and then they'll disappear and you'll think it's done for six months and then it's back. So that might be in the works still. I'm in the, the lull of the heartbeat. So we'll see. I would be interested in that as well. But between that and I do have a biographer writing a book on me, but that's about all I've given thought to really. Great. Well, well, I do want to talk about your book too when Andorra update the show notes when it's available, but I can't let this go. It keeps popping up in my head. So the government part. So so many questions I want to ask you, but on the government side of things, they had I, I know like the research and they've had remote viewers and they use them as like psychic, they call them psychic spies and it was initially in the Cold War and everything else. Does the government still do this? I can 100% with authenticity say I don't know, and I don't have any information to say that does. There have been rumors of a couple of the key players that were in the older programs running around talking to people and having them sign governmental non-disclosures as a precursor to the conversation, which would indicate something's going on. But I, I legitimately just don't. Yeah, I have a feeling that they do. And that's not based on fact. That's just based on pure intuition and, and gut knowing. Because I, and I would love if there's any research out there. I I also, you know, my my theory is that the government probably has a lot more research and stats on psychics, on intuition, on what it means scientifically through energy, which is where I want to pivot in a second from from your your perspective. But and knowing that maybe it's not a hundred percent hit every single time, but I would imagine if if we can do this as human beings, why not? It seems like a really good skill set and advantage to have you know, for all the reasons. Yeah. I will say that in discussions with some folks that work the older programs, universally what was echoed was when they shut it down, all the documentation they released is basically they cherry picked the worst documentation and examples of it and release it to the public. To say, oh, this is BS. This is BS. It doesn't really work. All the miracle, like amazing stuff they said is still locked in a box somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Okay. So let's go into energy and the magnetic field, energy field. You have a a lot of degrees behind you. Why don't you share a little bit about that and your expertise and your kind of full-time job and then what what your theory is as far as remote viewing and how it connects to all of that. Full-time job, I'm I'm right now I'm currently like an engineering manager. What essentially happened is I was moved back to the United States became a program manager and sort of, but at a junior level and worked through things. And I got a mentor who was an astrophysicist and he was like, Chris, you've got to finish your degree. I didn't have any education. So I started working on it, but I didn't get a technical degree at all. But eventually I left the government and started working for a larger defense contractor. And I, I was naturally drawn toward electromagnetics, RF type work in the electromagnetic spectrum. And the engineering executive one day gave me a call after I had solved a few small problems, interviewed me, and he just said, you're an engineer now. Like, sorry, you're starting Monday. So I became an engineer, a chief engineer for a multi-billion dollar company before I had an engineering degree. And so moved into, and I've basically ridden that and as much as I've moved out of engineering and electromagnetics, I'm continuously sucked back into it. Parallel to that, I tried to kind of catch my education up with that. So I'm currently in a PhD program 
that's more or less paused because of some life issues, just time management stuff that studies very low frequency magnetic fields and trying to pull frequencies that are basically buried in the noise floor, just where everything goes when it gets so quiet, it's no longer detectable and continues bouncing around and trying to develop patterns and algorithms to pull them out and see what they were. Like, this is probably far-fetched, but is it possible to pick up a TV signal that was broadcast in 1970, but some of it is still bouncing around and sort it from every other TV signal and restore that? So it's not just the can you, it's the how? Yeah, it's the can you and how. Because so I would say, yes, you can, but I had no idea about the how. <laughs> yeah, um, the how is, is very difficult. I Actually, my first paper I ever published demonstrated that a Faraday cage, which for your listeners is a cage that's supposed to block all radio frequencies and emissions, I demonstrated how it could be defeated in the magnetic field and in low frequency. That was my first ever paper was, look, we can pick up what's going on inside one. Oh, I'm sure that's also pretty valuable too, to some people. (laughs) That uh, got a lot of attention. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So I've always had this interest in it. And I'll be honest, the next question is probably going to be, what do I think this is? I think that there is some sort of other access to to the spectrum, access being AXIS, like some some part of the spectrum that we just haven't detected yet and maybe isn't conventionally detectable with an antenna, like a metal antenna. And I think in some way our brains are just antennas. And sometimes it's tuning the right little frequency or band to get access to the information through meditation or whatever works for you, but there's some mess. I think it's, I, I think it's the phenomena as your listeners would like it, as well as the phenomena of what a lot of scientists would like to see. And those two just haven't found their common area yet. And it's both. When it's hard, if, if science requires you to replicate something and you, you know, every single person is different, every scenario and situation, it's hard to replicate people plus the scenarios, plus the rights, situations that you have to have in order to hit all of those things. And when I teach people or talk to people about communication with their own higher self or their spirit team or their loved ones from the other side, or I guess technically in a lot of ways, there's probably some remote viewing going on when doing sessions without without realizing that I call, again, that clairvoyance or the intuition. It's always about how can you get on that wavelength or frequency or vibration, that state of oneness, that state of being present and shut out all all the other stuff so that you can focus and really through that intention, receive information. And it's going to be different for every single person, depending on, like you said, you had your empathy and then a little bit of that clairvoyance and then the gut intuition. But all of that is you know, different for each person. So I like the way you said it, that we just haven't mis- maybe found that right frequency or wavelength, so to speak. Our brains being an antenna because our bodies are energy. And we have a lot of electric energy flowing through us and coursing through us, but we don't think about it on a day-to-day standpoint. Yeah. And real quick, I want to clarify something. I said the way your listeners, and I think that could have been taken as all your listeners are totally unscientific. What I meant by that is, is your listeners as people who want to believe. On the spiritual side of things. Yeah. Who want to believe versus a, a slap toward their mental or academic prowess. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, one of the one of the things I worked on with my PhD was detecting emissions from your body. And like people don't realize every single thing we do is electrical signal from the brain to the heart, to the here, to there, and you know, or even like infections where bacteria is building up or like there's signatures from that. Those those are activities and they can if you have the right equipment that can be detected. We're all just energy of some form and or 
of some frequency. And I think there's more to it than that. Another, you know, the energy we have is the electrical field, the E field. Way back in, you know, 1800s, we figured out there's another field with that, the B field, magnetic field. And I think, you know, eventually we'll find out there's another, whatever you want to call it, Z field or something, you know, there's more to it. What do you think the aura is then? Do you think that that's one of those fields? It just hasn't put like a scientific term to it yet? To be honest, uh, I would compare that to the near field of a magnetic field. I always describe it as if you've ever played a role-playing game and you click on somebody's character and it shows a circle around it, like wherever there's energy, there's one of those around it that's like the near field, the magnetic field. There's something like that. So you're there and it's kind of just there around you. And it might be, and to be honest, I haven't done a lot of aura research, but I'm assuming it's affected by like emotions and things or, or, so it's probably something off that. So I'm also not an expert, but my understanding is, so we have energetic lines called meridians within our body that's very similar to the our blood vessels or our nervous system. And that connects to the chakras or the energy centers in our body that fluctuate and flow. So think about those being our brain and heart on the physical. So our chakras are that. And then emanating from our chakras and slower build out is this energy that emits. So that's the inner, like outward. And then that creates an energetic field around us and our aura is comprised and connected to our chakras and the meridians and everything else. So it's almost kind of like I think about it as a Russian nesting doll where you have that. And then, and also when I kind of tune into people and I sense their auras visually, I see it like a gobsmacker, (laughs) you know, that old school candy where you have like the shells and every, and so it makes sense that that's what you're saying about the A, B, and then all the way to the Z. And I just think we probably haven't come up with terminology scientifically and spiritually that, that we are essentially probably talking about the same thing. I think so. That's my general take. And I also, just as much as I don't understand the people who will immediately deny anything they don't understand, I don't understand the people who immediately buy into everything. You're a healthy skeptic. <laughs> yeah, there's something there. Like healthy skeptic, yeah. I, I truly believe that if you took everybody who claimed to have some type of psychic ability, spiritual ability, something unusual, I would say a huge portion of those are just not they're, they're, it's not real, but I a hundred percent believe that there's a large portion that are legitimate and you kind of know, like most of the people you see on the side of the road selling it are probably not in the real category kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there are a lot of impersonators and scammers out there, but it is my belief that going back to what we had talked about earlier, we all have intuitive abilities. It may just not be on that broader spectrum or that signal and that strength may not be super out there in order for us to leverage it the way that I think a lot of people probably do out there. And I, and I found in the seminars I gave at Phenomicon, so what I would do is I'd have a room of about 30 to 50 people, and they would come expecting me to demonstrate and teach them about remote viewing. And instead, what I was like, no, I'm not doing any of that. Like, you guys are doing it. And so I'd put a target up, and I gave them paper and walked them through how to do it. And we did progressively more difficult. Like, one, I'm going to hold your hand, tell you every step. Two in the middle and three, I'm just going to put the target number up and you figure it out. Every single session, I did like three or four sessions. Everybody had something that was legitimately like beyond just they got lucky. It was mm-hmm. to the point of the last session, the last target I had was the Moonlander. And these were all sealed in an envelope in my backpack. The last session, one of the guys who was totally like, this is garbage, actually described, he's like, I could feel it. It was like a tin can landing somewhere. And I drew the moon landing and and, and I was like, yeah, that's it. And I showed him. So I found everybody can do something. It just It's like a muscle. And if you don't work it enough. Exactly. Now, in that instance, would you say that 
a lot of people think that maybe it's their imagination or creative imagination and that they're not actually doing this and experiencing this. And so then they just discount it. Actually, I wouldn't. I, I, in my experience, people who finally it clicks and they get it and it's like, wow, it's so in your face that they are, they're immediately like, there's no way this isn't real now. Like once they've done it, they're like, okay, this is 100%. No ignoring it. I had trouble believing it and thought, you know, maybe I got lucky, but then there have been so many times where I've just described it like so perfectly. You know, one time one of my targets was the the bean in Chicago and I, I put my pencil on. I was like, I can't do this. Like every time I'm trying to view this, I'm just seeing my own reflection back. Like it's like somebody's looking at me, but it's me. It's like a mirror. Well, it's super reflective. So, you know, that's, that's one of those moments where I thought it was a total failure, but it turned out it was real. And you're like, oh crap, that's, that's real stuff. Yeah. Well, also because you didn't know exactly what it was, but then once you find out, then it makes sense because it reflects back to you. And reflection can be a lot of things, <laughs> but that one is one that distorts and everything else. Are you up for, I know you said in, when you've done the seminars or the workshops that you teach people how to do it because they actually have a target and they walk through it. But if, and we don't necessarily have time to do that here, but can you, if somebody were interested, are there certain things like the gentleman who came into you know your office and said, all right, we're going to do this. What are, how can somebody do that on their own and start to practice? So once I started, I found there were, there were a whole bunch of websites that if you looked up remote viewing targets, they had randomized targets that you could use. I'm trying to think of where you'd get the how-to because it doesn't do you a lot of good to have a whole bunch of targets and to just not know how to do it. Mm-hmm. So is it like maybe you get in a space where if you are a meditator, you meditate first and you clear your mind. If you're not a meditator, you do whatever you need to to just get into that more relaxed state of calmness, you know, what are the, like the basics that before you would try the exercises essentially? Well, for me, I don't do much of anything. I make sure that I am not emotionally activated or triggered anywhere. I don't want to be too angry, too happy to, I want to be just right in the middle because although I, the biggest problem with remote viewing is the noise from yourself and second guessing yourself. And I want to make sure I know as little as possible about what I'm trying to remote view. But a lot of people will do things like meditate or they'll play their favorite music. The gentleman who taught me, he was a big fan of rock and roll. He would blast heavy metal in like headphones before to just kind of get in his zone, whatever that looked like for him. But it really, it's whatever it seems that comes naturally for you. I'm very much, as long as, as long as we're not in some place where, you know, screaming loud, people all around and, and things like that, then I can sit down and concentrate and do it. Emotional. Beyond that, it's literally just a lot of putting pen to paper writing something, whether it's the target number or something in your mind that is connected to the target. Like if I had an envelope here and I wrote 727 on it, that 727 doesn't mean anything, but it's just on the envelope. So it's in your brain. That's okay. I'm looking for what's inside 727. Write down 727 and just let your pen sort of fall across the paper. And when it's made this long line, then you start tracing that line and, and, just seeing what comes up and what comes to you. That's the 101 level lesson. So you're using pen to almost like a physical tool on paper to channel or to tap in. And then that flows through you. And then however your intuitive senses pick it up, then that's how you pick it up. And and because I have heard of people like Tyler Henry is one where if you see him and he scribbles and he just does like these and then he gives the paper to people. It doesn't mean anything, but it's his way of just connecting and channeling. But for you, it's almost like automatic writing, essentially. Yeah. He's just tracing a line and then 
going to that mind's eye sort of place. I don't know what you even call it. It's almost like the place where you use your imagination. That's why I was saying creative imagination. Like when you visualize, some people may not necessarily understand that that's what they're doing. Yeah. I go there and I just start, it's almost like going there with nothing there and waiting for something to come forward. And it might be like, oh God, I feel like this is really crowded. I don't want to be here. Or it could be a picture of a of a sun. So you'd write down sun and then you, what, what was my brain focusing on in the sun? What was I drawn to? Oh, it was the circle. So write down circle kind of thing. Cause it's usually not your, if it's a car and you're focused on the shape of the car, but not so much, then it's probably just the shape. So draw the shape of the car kind of thing. What I was seeing over and over was a rocket ship, like a rocket launching and moving really fast. But when I further got into like, what am I, what, what am I drawn to? I was drawn to the lines on the rocket. Like they were almost like panels, perfectly squared, like da, 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 and something moving fast across it and a lot of up and down. And it was like, it looked like two long lines with almost like a fence post or like a, a long fence and something moving fast across it and wind. And I was going so fast. I was blurry. Well, it turned out the target was a, a roller coaster. And so what I was, the panels and the lines were the, my, my, basically they call it analytic overlay where you get an image and your brain doesn't know what to do with it. So it just paints on whatever it looks like closest. So it, rocket ship must be a rocket ship. It's got lines and it's going in the air at an angle kind of thing. So you just kind of tune into what you're focusing on, like what you're drawn to versus what you see. Yeah. And what you say is really important because getting out of your own head and having that doubt too, it's almost like you're brainstorming with yourself and just letting that to be in flow to have that information come through and the messages. Yeah. The biggest obstacle is always yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just tell people if if you're you know frustrated, just do it and do it more and try and then let go and try again. And over time, like you said, it's that muscle that just strengthens. Yep. There's a pattern I've noticed with people is once they hit it, they will have two or three sessions that are amazing. They just like Picasso's. They've gotten every, and then they drop off into nothing and they go through this like void for whatever, four, five, six sessions and they almost give up. And if they keep going and working at it, it starts to slowly taper back up. Why is that, do you think? Because somebody asked me, I, not on the remote, remote viewing side, but I had some clients that had like a lot of hits and they were just like, this is great. This is amazing. And I said it ebbs and flows and to not get frustrated when you hit that wall, so to speak. But what's your opinion on why that happens? I think there's a little bit of the muscle fatigue. It's just like if you go work out really hard and you're going to crash for a little bit. I think that's it. There's part of me that wants to say there's some type of cosmic lesson in this, you know, like a test. I don't know if that's true or not. I would like that answer, but it's just what I see. I think it's muscle failure and you need to rest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One time when somebody asked me that, I said it's about the control. So when we're trying to control something and we're not in that that flow state, then that's what the block is. So that's why it's like, try it, let it go, try it, let it go and just release it. And it tends to push you forward. I don't want to say faster, but it could be possibly the muscle fatigue, but also that because we're, we're also an ego than when we're trying to control the outcome. I think that's actually very, very, I like that idea better. That's very valid because one thing I see is once people have done one or two of them very successful, then they just want to do everything. And like, it's exactly that they want to know it all, be in control do every, and then and that's when it starts to fail. And then until they finally give up, they either give up and don't do it or they give up that control and sort of just see what comes. That's when it comes back again. Yes, yes, exactly. Absolutely. All right. So what is the most random or weirdest thing you've been asked to 
find or view? Someone's breakup. Oh, okay. So yeah, so I found, and I also learned a big ethics lesson. I thought you were going to say Bigfoot. (laughs) Well, Bigfoot, yeah, that was pretty, I can describe that as well. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit, but I want to hear about this other one first. So I found that time kind of, it looks like an X. Like you're in the very center of the X where the two lines cross. And then the further you go in the future, the more further apart the X lines get. And the same for the past. And the closer those two lines are, the more accurate you can be. So he asked me to remote view a breakup because he was still friends with his ex, but had like a sort of like almost still in love, but not quite like draw, almost like a, the way he described it was like a toxic draw. And a couple things I learned was, well, first of all, I learned that she'd had multiple affairs on him and he validated that. Second thing I learned is it's, we're really not meant to feel emotions in four or five D like I'm meant to feel my own emotions and process the emotions of others, not to experience emotion of others and what they were feeling externally to somebody else and what they were processing. And like, I, I, I felt all the emotions of both of those people breaking up as well as her love for one of the people she was seeing and his pain and, and just, it actually sent me into a bit of like a depressive, like emotional spiral for like four days. It was just like, cause you were really tapped into it. Yeah. It was like, if you took a, you know, a Blu-ray and shoved it into a computer that only had a floppy disk drive, it can't handle just crashes that kind you know, can't handle that volume of data. And that's just what I felt like. Yeah. It was really, it was a painful event for me as, as much as it, him going through it. I never really thought about remote viewing that. You know, usually I would probably, and I try not to get into the definitions of things, but I would say that that would be because there are some, I guess, clairvoyants that can look into the past, present, and future. Some say I can only do it three months. Some say it's a year. Some say it doesn't matter. You know, whatever. Time's not linear when you're, in my opinion, when you're looking at it that way. But yeah, remote viewing that, that would be interesting because you also being an empath, definitely that was probably the strongest way for you to pick up on the situation. Yeah, that's usually about 90% of what I get. I can describe a feeling and I'll get... Mm A little bit of like imagery sort of thing, but normally it's like, oh man, this person is very reclusive or, or whatever. They're they're studying, they're very diligent, they're studying something, or you know those type of things versus an image. Okay. Now let's talk about Bigfoot. First of all, before we get into that, do you believe in Bigfoot? Uh, no. Being a healthy skeptic, okay. I, I'm I'm not a, a believer right now. I'm open to being convinced. That being said, I was brought on Bigfoot to do remote viewing because of basically the relationship I developed with Russ and. The other cast members, Ronnie, Ronnie and Maria. I will say up front, they cut so much out of that episode that I'm so disappointed. So I was so bummed because I, they literally had you on screen for maybe, I don't know, 20 seconds. And then I'm like, they reduced it to a bullet point. There had to be so much more. There was five hours of that going on. All right, guys. So on television, this just proves to you, you don't see any 99% of what's filmed. You really don't. That's the second time I've shot a TV show. The first time anything to do with remote viewing. And it's literally for that one second the sun goes down, like it's sunset, but it's not dark yet. You're out there and you're out there till five, six in the morning and shooting. We started with a scene filming and this was not staged at all. In fact, I will say up front, nothing I saw on Expedition Bigfoot was staged. I saw nothing staged. I saw things that were rehearsed or practiced, like something would happen. Yeah, and then you got to recap it or you have to summarize it for someone, yeah. Or they would like redo it even though it had already happened to make it better for the camera, but nothing was ever like faked. And the first scene I had to shoot was was going to be actually me sitting down and remote viewing something for Russ to convince him to let me on like part of the team. 
And this legitimately happened. It was like a test. <laughs> yeah. And it legitimately happened. Like I remote viewed. Well, first of all, real quick, I have to say, if you're out there looking for Bigfoot, then they should not have been skeptical of you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, anyway, it's just, there's so many things of, that are ironic in that. But anyway, but continue. Yeah, continue. I, I, I told him to think of a place that was near and dear, like emotional tie in his heart, assign a number to it, and I'd remote view it. And he assigned a number, and I ended up describing his vacation home in, I think, Wyoming or Montana, like perfect down to him seeing his father standing in the creek picking up rocks and the color of the house and stuff. And real world, he was like, holy crap. Like, he suspected that I had done some digging on his personal pages. Well, it turns out there's nothing on his pages about that. So, and that was the start of it. The remote viewing for the Bigfoot, you saw like 30 seconds of things I would say or things I said they would run into. It was actually like probably an hour or two of just this long laundry list of you're going to come to this creek. There's a creek here and it's, you know, there's rocks over here and there's, I hear noises like somebody's throwing something. But basically, I laid out like a list of every single thing they would do for the rest of the series. Coming to the the fence with hair in it. Like that was, I said, you're going to find it in the fence. And I told them, look around on the left side. You're looking at the fence. Look down on the left. There's something here that you're going to use. It's some type of evidence, probably hair. And the, everything that happened. In my whole time remote viewing, I didn't see any sort of Bigfoot, like no flashes of Bigfoot came up, but there was something like a trail that they were following. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was many, many hours, and I was very disappointed when they aired 30 seconds of it. Then there was the follow-up reunion sort of episode on Zoom. Maria put me on the spot and had me remote view a picture on her phone, and I described it perfectly and nailed it. Like, I actually started way back. Like, I was I was way off. I was wrong. And then more started coming through, and next thing I know, I was describing a picture of her kids in Cuba, like visiting Cuba and climbing through the walls of the castle, and nailed it, and they cut that out as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, I'm just glad that it came the way it did as far as it on the show. I was able to find you, even though you were a little hard to find, but we got there. It was very good timing because I actually had abandoned that Instagram account for about two years and had just got back into that account for maybe uh, 30 days, maybe, maybe two weeks. So I got you right on that sweet spot, that window. Nice. Awesome. All right. I really, really want to quickly go back to the Faraday cage. So as we, because I think that this is important and I keep being drawn to that. And when you were talking about remote viewing and people being able to tap into events or locations, you also mentioned the Faraday cage with the electromagnetic field and how you wrote that paper on it. How do people then block remote viewing? So if somebody wants to not have somebody view them, are there certain ways that you would recommend that too? The government answer to that is you put a distraction. I actually asked about that when I was working with them is you put a distraction. They didn't find a way to block it. So they would put things like an out of place, like helium balloon, you know, in your, in your room. And it would immediately draw remote viewers. Or like, There's a balloon in here for some reason. The more something is either trying to be hidden or out of place, the more likely it's going to shine like a beacon when you're doing this kind of thing. So a balloon, some something very shiny and out of place, that typically will do it. Which, on the broader topic of ethics, one thing I will say to folks is what I've learned the hard way is don't remote view anybody without their consent. So that's where I was kind of getting at. It's just because it's like, oh, I can spy on my ex or I can do X, Y, and Z or what have you. I've heard of pr- some practitioners even going to some government locations and then having other alleged psychic 
warriors like blocking them and stuff like that. And so it just gets really deep down that rabbit hole. And that's not what I'm suggesting we do. But on a personal level, especially as I have a podcast, I can feel a lot of people trying to tap into my energy, not maliciously, but I have to have a lot of blocks on me just energetically. And so, yeah. So I think that there's the ethics of trying to do it, but then also if there are things that you can do to maybe protect yourself or block that would be of interest, I think, to listeners. Yeah, I would think that a lot of the folks happy are just almost to see if, you know, you can mention it on, like, am I, am I powerful enough to get her to mention something on the podcast? Yeah, that's the only thing I've ever found is a, a distraction, something odd in the room. That, and I just legitimately now, I stay so far away from remote viewing anybody or anything without some real consent to it. Like, I will, if somebody wants me to remote view for them, I will not do like a, an X or... Unless it's like some exceptional circumstance, like somebody's kidnapped or something like that, um, I just will not remote view without consent. Stick to objects and events kind of thing. Yes, yes, that's good practice. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to share or get into? I still have so many more questions, but I want to be respectful of your time. No, no, I'm good on time. And no, there's not really. Um, I'm very, I like very much like to just go with the flow. Okay, great. This kind of activity, I love doing podcasts and talking to people. I would go for four hours. All right. Well, I would love, if you're ever at the point, because I know you're super busy and, and things with your full-time job, but if you ever want to do like a class or a course and you would like me to promote it, let me know. I'd be happy to share that, obviously, with the listeners. I think that that would be really helpful for people. If they want to do some, some tips and learn those exercises. But the other thing I was getting is that if you're interested in trying, maybe what you do is with this with a family member or a friend. I remember when I was really young, I think I must have been like five. So my dad was into all of this stuff. This was like late 70s, early 80s. And he actually asked me to remote view, which I didn't know that that's what it was called, but pick up on my grandparents in their home. And, you know, then he called them, you know, this was on a landline and he was like, okay, Nicole says you're doing X, Y, and Z. I did not get any of it correct because I didn't necessarily know what he was asking me. I was like, what do you mean? Like they're in their house They're So I was just brainstorming, not necessarily actually tapping in. But that image kept popping up in my mind. So if you're interested and you want to learn a little bit more, practice your intuition, maybe you find a your person or a partner that can do this with you and you guys practice with each other on that as well. If you're not necessarily sure you want to go down the, the internet rabbit hole of, of what those, those are designed. So that could be something too. I would actually very much strongly recommend that if you have a, a partner, friend or whatever, if you're willing to go all in, go have the partner buy a helium balloon, tell them to drive somewhere in the city with a landmark and just stand and walk around and observe the area. You know, like if there was a big water fountain or a park and and tell them, you know, 15 minutes from now, start remote viewing on where I am. Describe it. Oh, I love that idea. That is the simplest way to do it. To the classes, I don't know. Let's do a joint thing sometime. Let's set up something where you and I do, you do one part of class, I do another or something. That'd be fun. Yeah, we, we let's do it. We absolutely can. All right. Before we break and I, I give people the information or you give people the information how to find you, what kinds of myths or misconceptions would you like to maybe dispel? That's one thing that I do like to cover on this too. You talked a little bit about how remote viewing isn't like astral travel or necessarily out-of-body experiences. So totally get that. Is there anything else? I think the perception that it could be unsafe. I've had a lot of people like, well, what if, you know, and it's usually the very hyper hyper religious. What if there's demons? Like no, like you're you're not doing any sort of entity work at all. Like this is 
just a, it's no different than looking through a telescope. It's just a very long. Or picking up the phone and calling someone type of thing. Yeah, that's, that's it. And along that with, you can 100%, like this is something that can and has been validated over and over. So if you had a partner that wants to work with you and you're a skeptic, great, be skeptical. Have them pick six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, images off the internet that are like landmarks. You know, Eiffel Tower is a good one. Paris is not good. Things like that. Uh, have them lock them somewhere you don't know, label them with numbers and start working at it. And if you have a knack for this, you'll see very quickly that 60, 70% of the time you're getting enough information to be considered accurate. It's And it's duplicatable, repeatable, duplicatable, and all those kinds of things. So it's not, and, and in fact, it was, I think it was last year, they actually published on their website, the CIA published on their website, frequently asked questions like, did you do remote viewing? I said, yes. Was it real? Yes, but it just didn't serve our purpose. That's the public website. It's not a secret. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't, I'm not believing them. <laughs> I think it served them well, but yeah. Probably, yeah. So there's something to it and it's been more or less validated so many times. How would you like people to reach you? Uh, look me up on Instagram, Christopher.Duncan9. If they want to talk to me specifically, just send me a message or otherwise follow. Most of my Instagram content is just memes and unrelated to anything we're talking about or pictures of me in the hot tub with my dog. So don't expect to be a bunch of remote viewing things. It's just going to be my personal page. Yeah, but that's the best way to message you and get in touch with you. And you offered, if somebody's interested in your services, I know you're selective in who you pick and your clients, but he's also offering a discount code for listeners, which I think you put, well, actually you didn't give it, but if they reach out to you, it's 10% and they just contact you. Yep, so I usually charge uh, $75 for like a one hour type session. I'm very selective and I'm also not trying to make a million dollars. So I don't charge a ton of money for it. But, you know, I just, I like to help people. So I'll give 10% off that. My book as a TBD on date, it's, we've got many, many, many chapters into it. Same will go when that comes out. If somebody just contacts me, I'll discount it for them and give them a way to order that. And, you know, if they're interested in the bio with me. We forgot to, yeah, we forgot to talk about your book. Is there anything there? I mean, it's a biography of your life, but any kind of sneak peeks or? It is very focused on the target audience would be people recovering from abusive relationships of some type, whether it's romantic or, or parental relationships or whatever. And my life story of overcoming that and even now being in the 40-year age group and still learning about things and how it affects me and it, moving forward from there. So so if you're interested in that kind of thing, like, or even how somebody can be, you know, from a corporate perspective, incredibly successful, and, but then get home and struggle with depression and the ability to even enjoy life when you have what everyone else would think that's all you need. That's the kind of story. If you're interested in that, combined with a little bit of remote viewing, a little bit of spookiness, then... Yeah. No, I'm definitely going to read it when it's available. So please, you know, email me and let me know when it's out. So again, I can update the show notes. But thank you also for sharing and doing that because it's not always easy to share what we go through and be vulnerable and open that up so that not only we can heal, but that others can heal. So thank you for writing it and talking about it because it is very important. You're very welcome. Yeah. No, I, I feel it just energetically from you. I think it's going to be going to be big. So thank you. All right. Well, thanks for being on again, Chris. If anybody's interested, I'll include all this information in the show notes. And I just want to say it's been real. It's been fun. And I look forward to having you back, if anything, maybe doing a class together at some point. Thank you for listening to A Psychic Story. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and join the conversation on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. All episodes are free on your favorite podcast player or at apsychicstory.com. Have a question? Is there a topic you'd like to hear more about? 
or have a suggestion for a future guest, send an email to contact at a psychicstory.com or leave a voicemail message at 1-800-880-1881. We'd love to hear from you and you may even be featured on a future episode. If you're interested in booking a session with me, you can do that directly on the website. And if you want to hear even more content hosted by yours truly, check out my other show, Supernatural Matters. Reminder that you are automatically entered to win either a free 20-minute intuitive or energy healing session with me if you leave five stars along with a positive review. Currently, reviews can be left on Apple, Stitcher, Podchaser, or CastBox podcast players. Don't forget to email contact at a psychicstory.com when you do, because it allows me to get in touch with you if your name is pulled in the drawing. Your name stays in until you win.